Welcome to The Spin Cycle. My name is Abby Greenberg. And I'm Maggie Sarachek. And together we are the Anxiety Sisters. Welcome to our very first podcast. We're really glad that you're here with us today. This is episode one, the first of what we hope will be many shows dealing with anxiety in all its different forms. Why the spin cycle, you might be asking? Now, I was asking the same question. Why are we calling this the spin cycle? Yeah, I know. You're, you're not too fond of the name. or Well, it's growing on you, I'd like to say. It is growing on me. Well, why don't you like the name spin cycle? Well, the name spin cycle reminds me of the laundry. And the laundry reminds me of those piles and piles of clothes I have sitting on my basement floor that I need to do at some point. Is that why you keep buying all those new underwear? Yes, and socks, and (laughs) socks. Well, yes, laundry definitely is anxiety-provoking, and that is part of the metaphor. But I think the main reason we like spinning is because we feel the words anxiety and panic are themselves very anxiety and panic-provoking. And so we decided to go with the kinder, gentler name, spinning, to refer to having any kind of an anxiety attack or episode. Yeah, spinning makes sense to me because um, anxiety, I've always described panic attacks or anxiety as my own private earthquake. And I also sometimes think about being a kid and having my older brothers trying to stuff me into the laundry machine (laughs) and the feeling that I would be part of, you know, going on in the laundry machine, tumbling and falling, and that that's pretty close to what an anxiety attack feels like. And the machine's going ka-thunk, 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 ka-thunk all around the room. Yep, yep. Oh, my husband says that whenever I'm having an anxiety attack, it's like watching the Tasmanian devil spinning and drooling all over himself. What exactly is a Tasmanian devil, may I ask you? Well, it, it is a real animal, but the one I'm referring to is... Uh, I. It's a Warner Brothers character from when we were kids. Don't you remember? And he's going, yeah, yeah, and spin all over the place. <laughs> yes, now no. I remember. Okay, now I well, remember. that's me when I'm having an anxiety attack. So now that we've explained our show title, let's talk about today's show. First, we're going to chat a bit, and then later in the podcast, we will talk about some interesting research that Mags has uncovered and posted on our website and on social media this week about inheriting anxiety. Okay, Mags, I got a question for you. Okay, shoot, I'll talk about anything other than my weight. Okay, touche. The question I have for you is this. When did your anxiety first start? That's a great question. Um, I think I was born an anxiety baby. (laughs) I probably don't remember a time when I wasn't anxious, although it didn't always feel like anxiety to me because it often doesn't for children. Um, I remember going to summer camp, and I loved summer camp, and I was having a great time, but I would cry every morning. I'd wake up with this lump in my throat, which later I learned was my separation anxiety. 
And there were other times in my childhood and adolescence where I was away from home and actually having fun, but felt very, very anxious. You still Um, have that with me. I still have separation anxiety when I'm away from my home now. Then when I was in my mid-20s, I started having more classical panic attacks and anxiety attacks. Going out for a spin. I started going out for a spin. A lot. And that happened about six months after my father died. The spinning um, or the anxiety attacks became really strong and prevalent. And what were they like? Like I said before, for me, it's it's like having my own earthquake. Having the it, For me, it feels like having the stomach flu it, or food poisoning is the best way to describe it. Oh. I'm nauseous the whole time. I'm sweaty. I'm dizzy. I feel like I want to crawl out of my own skin. Wow. Um, so it's a, it's a very intense, like it is for everyone, it's a very intense feeling. And how long does that typically last? Well, here's the interesting part. Many of the quote-unquote experts that I've consulted and talked to about anxiety claim that anxiety attacks last about an hour. Ha. Yes, exactly. Ha. Um, For me, they've sometimes lasted days at a time. So I've had days and days without relief, um, just being anxious the entire day and, and, and feeling actually feeling like I'm in the midst of a panic attack the entire so day. So acute anxiety for days on end. Yes, for me. Now, experts I've consulted claim that I keep having discrete anxiety attacks, and I just happen to be having many of them. So but you're having 24 of them. Yes. <laughs> okay. But it does not feel that way to me. To me, it feels like the full, the full day and sometimes the night is full of anxiety. Wow. wow. Yep. And do you still get them to that degree today? I don't anymore. I don't get them to that degree. Right. I'm knocking on wood. I'm, I'm always going to be somewhat of an anxious person, and there are certainly times where I feel more anxious or less anxious. And certainly when I'm, when I'm planning to go on a trip, sometimes I'll, I'll experience increased anxiety. Do you still feel that in your stomach? Is it the same symptoms? Like not as sh- I do feel it in my stomach, but not to the same degree at all. Okay. It's, it's very, very mild now. But it, it took a long time for me to get to this place. Um, and that that is medication, which helps me. But it, it, it was also a lot of behavioral therapy that helped me and regular therapy and yoga practice. Didn't you go to somebody to check the alkaline or well that was (laughs) yes i i I went to someone who checked the alkaline on my tongue but that was when i was in that place where i was getting these panic attacks but really believed that they were physical not not for my brain but i i thought that i either had stomach cancer or i remember that terrible food allergies and you lost a ton of weight too so you were really concerned yeah your mom your mom was really happy yes but you were very concerned my mother was happy but i but i i I literally couldn't eat um and couldn't keep anything down 
And it wasn't a matter of an eating disorder because I wasn't trying to lose weight. It was actually now I see it was anxiety attacks, but, but because I didn't know that at the time, I ran around to every doctor that you could possibly imagine. Right. And when you went to these doctors, did they ask you anything about your mental state at all? Did they did they ask you like in other words, did you tell any of these doctors that your father had just died? Or were they very focused just on your physical symptoms? They were focused for the most part on doing the tests. Yeah. On you know blood, okay, urine tests. Blood, scan. urine um scans. Putting things down to look at my stomach and <laughs> Both ends? <laughs> yes. Look up places, look down places. But it, but I don't remember in that whole time, other than the therapist I was seeing, I don't remember one doctor asking me about what was going on with me emotionally. Hmm. That's very interesting. And uh, so you, you were seeing a therapist. Did that person give, you know, was that person aware of what you were going through? And did he or she suggest that it was anxiety? She identified it as anxiety immediately, but I have to say that I didn't believe her. None of us do. None of us do. (laughs) And it wasn't until I was speaking on the phone sort of incidentally to someone, and and she asked me how I was. It wasn't even a friend of mine. It was an acquaintance. She asked me how I was, and for some reason I decided to tell her exactly how I was, and I started explaining my symptoms. Usually you just say, I'm fine, if you don't know the person, right? <laughs> but I, I was in such distress at that point. I I was explaining my symptoms, and she said to me, you know, you're having anxiety attacks. And she said, and I said, how do you know this? She said, because I've had them too. Oh. And I did not leave my house for six months. That's wow. what this one was telling me. I have them I have them too. And that's the first time I really started to believe that it could be anxiety. When I met a fellow sister. Yeah. Well, the the community. Def- I mean, we've interviewed, what, 319 are we up to? Uh, women over yeah. the last several years, uh, ages 18 to 94. And it's funny, but... Most of them say they didn't believe the first person who told them that it was anxiety. And a lot of them say that they first accepted that they had anxiety when they met other people experiencing yeah. it as well. Even if the symptoms were different, just the you know, yes. the experience yeah. of anxiety. I can relate to that. And, and what about you? Uh, I was different from you. I, I, I don't think I was an anxious kid. Or, well, I mean, I bit my nails, but other than that, I don't believe I was an anxious kid. I, I actually tend to disagree with that. I think you were an anxious kid. You do? I do. I didn't know you as a child, but you've told me a lot about your childhood, and I knew you sort of as an adolescent yeah. and obviously as an adult. And I think that there were a lot of expectations placed on you to do everything perfectly from a very young age. Yes. And, yes. I. I do, and not. And you know. Shout out to Nancy and Mark. They were the greatest parents in the world. But I definitely felt a lot of expectation. I need. I needed to get their approval. You would say that was anxiety. I think that you developed a sense of having to perform to have people like you. Having to do really well. <laughs> I'm juggling as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. I'll bite. I'll you know, bite. Like you, in order to have their approval or other people's approval, like having to be a great friend or having to be a great daughter, just to go above and beyond, just to make sure that they're still in there with you. You know what? As you're saying this, my heart's beating a little faster. So I think there must be something to it. Um, It's funny. I had not 
really thought of that in that same way, even though we have talked about our childhoods together thousands of times. Yeah. You're right. I Okay, I'll bite. I definitely will say that, all right, I was anxious. I didn't present with symptoms of that anxiety that I could identify at the time. Right, right. But I did, like I said, I chewed my nails something fierce. I mean, like, to the point where they were stubs. And my father used to smack my hands all the time to try to get, get them out of my mouth. And he really meant well he was trying because he kept telling me that, you know, I would never be able to function in the world with hands that look like that. But uh, yeah, that I just remember. That was like probably the biggest anxiety I had was when my father would, wouldn't let me bite my nails. But when I, I, I think for me, my my bout with my brain started when I was in college. Uh, I No, I should say that I was young. Okay. I went to college at 16. As you know, I had skipped some, some grades in school and I was ahead academically, although definitely not socially. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't recommend that to anybody to skip your children. Don't do that. I um, I went to college, and um, I really I really developed a problem with depression. Right, right. I mean, I did. I had this darkness that I had never experienced before. I can't, it's hard to explain, but I just remember some days I couldn't get out of bed. Some days I just would cry all day long. And you really loved college. Oh my God. Still, it's the best time of my life. Still. It was amazing. I think what's interesting is that studies have shown that people who tend toward depression, at some point in their lives, they have a very high chance of getting anxiety. Yeah, they're cousins. They're cousins. (laughs) The reverse is a little bit less true. So there's many people with anxiety who haven't experienced depression. But people that start with depression yeah, often, often get anxiety. Yeah, and so so that was really my my brain battle started with depression, and then it continued when I got out of college. I mean, I think I did have panic attacks here and there, although I didn't identify them right, that way. Right, I thought that I just was having the beginnings of heart disease or something. I mean, you know, right. I, I I have the more stereotypical palpitations and shortness of breath and you know tingling in my fingers. I get the whole heart attack. Dizziness. Yeah, yeah, I get the heart attack uh, coming on. That's my panic. Right. That's my Spin cycle. When did your spin cycle really kick in? My when did you really start getting panic attacks? I, you know, I think I, I remember the very first panic attack I ever really had and recognized as such was when I was forty-one years old. But from the time that I was sixteen to the time I was forty, I continued to suffer from that depression. And I, I know you remember after the birth of my son, I had I had postpartum depression, yes. really, really bad case of it. So now looking back on it, from what I know. Yes. Uh, it seems unnatural that I would have evolved into a full-blown anxiety sister. And I remember that you had postpartum depression, and your doctor at the time did not recognize it and did not ask no. you about it. as a matter of fact, and he was a wonderful doctor. I mean, I really think he was a terrific OBGYN, but I, I said to him, you know, Doc, I'm crying all the time, and I, and I don't want to be near people, and I'm a people person, and I don't want to be near people, and I, uh, I don't want to go anywhere and I, and I cry all the time I just kept telling him and he said to me you are the funniest person I know this is just the baby blues everybody gets it you don't want to hurt your baby do you and I said no I don't want to hurt my baby because I didn't have that right particular didn't have that I didn't level. have that level but I and I didn't want to hurt myself I just just didn't couldn't figure out how I was going to live like that it was horrendous and really bad time but the panic part started in in my 40s early 40s and my first panic attack happened when I was meeting with a nutritionist I'll never forget this. I was sitting in her office and we were talking and all of a sudden, this is going to sound crazy, but all of a sudden I drifted out of my body. 
Yes, you were having I, you were having something that people call depersonalization, and you and I have renamed it floating. Yes, we thought it was a little bit gentler. Yeah, I think depersonalization is really and scary, it's, and it's a very very common symptom of anxiety, and it makes us feel crazy. Well, we think no that's one crazy. No one told me that I was having anxiety A and B. No one told me that that was normal to have that during an anxiety attack. So I freaked out. And I just remember hearing my voice say to the nutritionist, something's not right here. But when I said it, I was saying it from in the air and looking down on myself. And I mean, you know me, I am not woo-woo. Yes. That was, I mean, I was completely... It's terrifying. It was terrifying. I'm scared now remembering it. It was so bad. And then right from there, started getting the heart attack symptoms, you know. Right. Right away, racing heart. Felt like things were sitting on my chest. And you ended up going to the hospital, right? Oh, well, she had to call 911 because, I mean, the, my poor nutritionist. I mean, <laughs> she took one look at me and saw me gasping for air. And, and you know, right. I, I was really... I was sure I was dying, Maggie. I, right, really, right. I mean, you know, you and I laugh a little bit about it now, but there was just nothing funny about it at the time. It was just the most terrifying experience. And uh, so I went to the ER. And, I mean, they did every test. They did x-rays of my chest. They did EKGs. They checked my cardiac enzymes. They did blood work. They, I mean, you name it. They did it. And I made them do the enzyme test again because the, the attending physician, this sweet old man, came in and said to me, you know, your heart is fine, my dear. It's really healthy heart. And I said, no, you, you clearly haven't watched House. You're doing right. the wrong tests or, right. you're, you know, you better get back there to the drawing board and figure out what kind of strange thing is presenting in my body that's making my heart die. But that's what's happening. And he said to me, no, you're actually experiencing acute anxiety. And I did not believe him. And how many times did you end up in the emergency room? Oh, you anxiety? know the answer to this no, question. No, I don't know exactly how many. Oh, at least asking. three. At least three. Because, At least three. Because that's another thing that's very typical is that people with anxiety, it's so hard to believe that they don't go to the emergency room once. You no, know, we, I, all of us don't go to the emergency room once. We go back. Yeah, I was back. Actually, that particular emergency room, I was back three weeks later. Yes. Because panic attacks, once they start then you start worrying about if it's going to happen again and then of course you bring one on so, right and then so, you, you know. still can't believe that it's panic no. so you think maybe they missed something oh it's not even you think it you're sure of it yes. i was like i i was saying to this attending who i saw again my second time back and you know he said to me i can give you an anti-anxiety medication and prove to you that that's what this is you know so he gave me a shot of ativan which was the beginning of my love affair with Ativan, but he gave me a shot of Ativan and said, I'm going to be back in 15 minutes. And when he came back, I was just in a really much better place and my heart was calm. And he said to me, are you feeling better? And I said, yes. And he said, well, let me tell you, you have anxiety because if you were having a heart attack, that wouldn't have taken away the symptoms. Right, right. And many of us still end up again in the emergency room even after well i went to a different emergency room because i would have been embarrassed to go back to that same guy (laughs) but i went to a different emergency room thinking that this guy just clearly had no cardiac training (laughs) and to this day i have to say that you know i mean i don't experience severe anxiety attacks but i do i do i go out for a spin I well, you know, right. well, I would say at least once every month or so I'm out for a short spin. I know what it is, so it's easier, and I know it's not my heart. So that's easier, too. Well, you and I still call each other from time to time and say, are you sure this is anxiety? Right. And usually there are different symptoms now. Like, right. What, you know, because we are getting older. Right. We're, right. we're getting to that half-century point. And so things are things on the car are breaking. Yes. <laughs> 
But it, but often it's anxiety, and it's still hard for us to believe yeah. that anxiety, that something in our so-called brain, can affect our body so strongly. It's Yeah, it's not intuitive. It's and not. Still. And the women that we have interviewed have all confirmed that. I mean, I, I think most of the women we've spoken to have said that they did not believe the first one, two, or ten people who diagnosed them with anxiety. I mean, like you said, for you, it was some, another sufferer that illuminated for you what was going on. I mean, for me, it was probably the third or fourth time in the emergency room when my husband finally looked at me and said, if it was a heart attack, you'd be dead. Right. Right. (laughs) He said, they don't last two months. Right. Absolutely. So that, so that was probably my, my origins of anxiety began with depression, I would say. Yes. Well, stay tuned. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we're going to talk to uh, Mags about some research she's been doing on the hereditary nature of anxiety. the articles we posted this week on Facebook and on our website got a lot of feedback. It was about anxiety in the genes. So Mags is going to summarize the article for those of you who didn't have a chance to look at it yet. And actually, she did some further research as well. So Mags, take it away. Today, I want to talk a little bit about epigenetics and the intergenerational transmission of trauma. Rachel Yehuda, who's a professor of psychiatry at Mount Sinai University, posits that serious incidents of trauma and PTSD can be passed through generations in shared family genes. Dr. Yehuda was born in Israel, and she grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, in a neighborhood with a lot of Holocaust survivors. Many Holocaust survivors have PTSD, which stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. Like what you hear about with the war veterans? Yes. Um, We see that with veterans of Iraq and veterans coming home from Afghanistan. It was first talked about a lot with veterans coming home from Vietnam. Things trigger their heightened reactions to stress. Okay. And Um, And they relive the trauma. And they relive the trauma even when they're stimulated by something that seems fairly minor to us. Hmm. Okay. Uh, they like the can, car, a car backfiring or... Right, right. Um, so it, it becomes much harder for them to modulate their emotions mm. uh, in terms of feeling anxious and stressful and depressed. So what Dr. Yehuda noticed was a lot of the survivors had heightened responses to stress, and she saw that among their children, too. For years, people have talked about a syndrome among the children of Holocaust survivors where um, when their parents went in, if their parents went into camps at around the same age, some people said that these kids also were traumatized. Their children, even though they didn't witness the actual event, even though they didn't witness the actual event. So Dr. Yehuda looked at the genetic profile of a small group of Holocaust survivors And she saw that they had very similar hormonal profiles to Vietnam veterans who were suffering from PTSD. Wow. So our brains have a region called the amygdala. And the amygdala is our emotional center. It's like our anxiety center, our um, 
it processes our memories. It uh, processes our emotional reactions. It detects threats. And PTSD causes our amygdala, our amygdala, it's not an easy word to say, to go into overdrive. Okay, so it becomes highly sensitive. Yes. And she found that this quality, this trait, may actually be passed down, but not in the way we've always thought about it. We always think that these qualities are passed down through parents modeling behaviors for children. So, you know, if a parent gets stressed out very easily or is very fearful, the children watch that. And we and we think they're watching the parents' reaction and, and they're learning to react from their parents. But Dr. Yehuda actually identified a gene related to stress and, and also to depression. And she saw that in these Holocaust survivors and in these Vietnam veterans, this gene had been altered. Like a mutation? Like a mutation, so that when they passed it down to their children, they also had a mutated gene. And and like I said, it's a, a gene related to stress and depression. And so they saw the epigenetic change on the same spot. So she kind of realized that genetic modifications can be passed down to children. Wow. And then those children can presumably pass it down to their children. And before you know it, you have generations later still experiencing some of the trauma from the Holocaust or from any other. You know, I would imagine that um, for today's African-American youth who, who are generations removed from the slavery trauma, I imagine this would be present in their population as well. Well, it's really interesting because there's a sociologist, Dr. Joy DeGroy, and she has looked at this in terms of African-Americans because obviously slavery was so traumatic and it lasted so many generations and there were so many different levels of trauma and also losing culture, losing language, being taken from native land and then all the mistreatment during slavery. And so her idea is that also in the African-American community, these mutations have happened in the genes and that means that the youth are at greater risk for depression and greater risk for stress-related And consequently anxiety. And consequently anxiety. That's so interesting. Yeah, I I think it's a really fascinating... It's relatively new, right? It's very, very new. I think it's really, really interesting. Now, the connections haven't been so tightly drawn you right. know, so we're we're still in the very beginning of this science, but I think this is the type of science that's going to develop in the next few years as we learn more about the brain. And I mean, the implications for that would be amazing. I mean, think about in terms of a medical model, which right now is really based on one model, a male model. This could be really, you know, if you map genes, we can really individualize medicine. And certainly in the mental health field, that would be that would be amazing. They're already starting to do that now, right? We've heard of that. We have heard of that. I mean, we've heard of it mainly with cancer research, using a genetic profile to figure out what the right treatment for someone would be. But we've also started to hear about it in terms of the brain and brain research. So, I mean, so that obviously being able to treat someone as an individual would be 
Right, and understanding that things that we used to label sort of as emotional, purely emotional um, or environmental, actually may have a deep basis in our genes, in our biology, in our genetics. And I think about what that could mean for future generations in terms of you can identify a gene that predisposes a child to anxiety, that you can intervene at a very young age, possibly even preventatively, to help that child cope with the anxiety Right, and under, before it gets to the point where the child's forty-one and in the emergency room, yeah. <laughs> and understanding why kids whose parents have been traumatized, or grandparents, or great-grandparents, still have some heightened responses to stress and some heightened responses to depression. I think it's an incredibly interesting way. And it, and it certainly makes a lot of sense. So I'm looking forward to hearing more. You're going to keep researching this, right? I am so interested in this. I can't wait to learn more, and I'm happy to share it with you. Great. So keep us posted. For those of you who are interested in reading this article, we will repost it on our website, www.anxietysisters.com, and you can also find it on our Facebook page. On our next episode, we tackle causes. So if you're wondering how you caught your anxiety disorder, you should definitely tune in. Okay, the question of the week. Are you ready? Write this down. She is very, very bossy. You really don't have to write it down. (laughs) I am very bossy. How did your anxiety begin? We want to hear from you. Please email us at absandmags at anxietysisters.com. You can visit our website at www.anxietysisters.com and communicate with us that way through the comment section, through the forums, or also through the Contact Us. Or you can talk to us on Facebook and on Twitter at Anxiety Sisters. Thank you so much for joining us. And remember, Anxiety Sisters, don't go it alone. You've been listening to The Spin Cycle, an Anxiety Sisters production. Copyright 2017. All rights reserved.